Legends of Time, The Lost Tree, written and read by Stephanie Ed. Part 2. Landmarks. Time sat on the dirt in front of another friendly oak, admiring the glimmering blade of her dandelion sword. It was halfway into the night by her reckoning, but they had gone so far into the wood that she could not be entirely sure if the shafts of light which broke through the canopy were sun or moon. The moon would be full, too, a coincidence that a scholar would surely find auspicious. Sheathing her sword again, time gazed down at the circlet of roots which Tanuki had taken as a bed. Tail swishing, her comrade was snoozing quietly, soft little snores coming in a rhythm, intermittently intoning like the buzz of a distant kazoo. Time smiled. After another hour, Time leaned forward and said, Hey, Tanuki. Tanuki groaned and smacked their jaws before yawning hugely, tongue unrolling. They stretched out their limbs and bulbous tail. Yes? They asked lazily. My turn to sleep, Time said. Tanuki opened their black eyes and gazed up at her. Keep your wits about you this time, or else, she added playfully. Or else what? Tanuki asked, getting to their feet. You don't want to know. Time replied with mock severity as she leaned back against the oak and crossed her outstretched legs at the ankles. She closed her eyes and exhaled in satisfaction. She was sitting on the largest rock, just where the creek flowed into the wood from the meadow, near the village. Her spade-like feet emerged from her child's slender ankles and paddled softly in the cool water. She was gangly, but small, her frame compact and underdeveloped from hunger, but her arms and legs were that of a teenager's, long and awkward as they were, knees perpetually bruised and scraped from climbing and crawling to and fro. She'd been feral only until recently. But now the clothes she wore were less than a year old and hardly stained at all. Her stomach wasn't eating itself with want, and the scars on her hands and back were beginning to fade. She looked up at the wood and felt like she wasn't alone, almost as if the forest was lounging there with her, like a companion. Enjoying the day, watching the clouds pass, trying to tell the birds apart. Time, the smooth voice broke through. She opened her eyes to see Tanuki sitting back on their haunches, tail swiping the dirt. It's morning, Tanuki said. Time to depart. First, a meal, Time said, stretching and yawning. She reached into her bag and withdrew a hearty roll full of seeds and a strip of salt pork. She offered one of her apples to Tanuki, who happily accepted it this time. Fasts broken, bladders emptied, and muscles stretched, the pair began moving on into the wood. How do you know where we're going? Tanuki asked her. Time thought about this. She certainly could not explain that she simply followed the path of black branches above, so she decided to say vaguely, The landmarks. Tanuki hummed and said, Which landmarks? Where we've intersected the creek, she replied. You're quite the traveler, then. You move so surely through this place. So do you, Time said. But I live here, Tanuki replied cavalierly. Then I'm flattered by the compliment, she said, grinning. After that, Time picked up the pace. Tanuki had to make an effort to keep up on their short legs, and as a result, could ask no more questions. Time guessed that morning gave way to midday when her stomach growled again. They stopped to rest and eat, 
looking around them. The trees had become more dense, some of their shapes contorted and surreal. They seemed to bend back and around, stretching like dancers frozen in time. Thick black moss grew at their trunks, and the dark purple hedges around them were crawling with bright green praying mantis. Time watched a white spider stroll up the willow tree they were reclining beneath. Tanuki looked up and observed the arachnid. Are you afraid of them? Tanuki asked, sniffing the air and gesturing at the spider with their brow. Time smiled. I used to chase my friends with spiders I caught off the alley boughs. I understand humans fear spiders. They're very unlike us, Time replied, getting to her feet. The other can be intimidating. Tanuki smirked and replied, You seem to be a font of explanations, Time. Thank you, she said, adjusting her sword on her hip and stepping out from under the willow tree. The black branches moved off to the left, and marking them with just a glance, she continued walking the route. I heard you say you have family that need you in flower, Tanuki said, catching up and keeping pace with her. Time did not reply, so Tanuki added, Why do your family need you? Why might families need each other? Time asked casually. Tanuki snorted. How should I know why humans might need each other? Sickness? Death? Trouble? Time said. I imagine you can empathize with wanting to care for someone you love. Are you going to care for a sick person? Tanuki asked. You could say that, Time replied, which she realized was probably too enigmatic. She picked up her pace to silence Tanuki once again. Within an hour, Time and Tanuki met back up with the winding creek. They'd begun to gently decline into a valley, and Time could hear the sound of water trickling nearby. The creek reappeared at their right. Tanuki snuffled the air, and then blanched, a look of disgust squinting their close-set eyes. What is it? Time asked. Decay, Tanuki replied, jerking onward with their snout. We should avoid it. Time glanced up at the canopy to see that the thickening black branches directed them explicitly toward where Tanuki had gestured. Time sighed and said, No, I think we'll manage as we are. Tanuki tutted quietly, but didn't protest. They walked on for an hour more, and the creek closed in on their path. They'd have to cross it soon. Further, Time had begun to pick up the smell that Tanuki had noticed earlier— the scent of foul rot and hot mud teeming with bacteria. It smelled like a dying thing. The odor became more pungent as the shrubs began to ebb away from their path, and not long after, they came upon a pool that interrupted the waterway. Despite the current of the creek, the pool was very still, black, and reeking. Flies buzzed around the shore, and the rocks were slimy with green algae and yellow fungi. Only a vague, hazy light touched the surface of the black pond, and it glimmered sadly. Prickly, long-legged insects striding across the surface, and unseen creatures snatching at them from below. Time wrinkled her nose and darted her eyes around the pool. Looking down, she saw that Tanuki had opened their mouth to say something. But then the stillness of the scene and the surface of the water was disrupted, by an enormous, roaring figure launching itself out of the water and onto the bank some ten yards from where they stood. It was a long, blue, scaly, snake-like creature. 
but then time observed them claw their way onto the bank with two huge, muscular arms. The dragonish face was covered in slime, red gums and yellow fangs bared as the creature gasped for breath, voice low and deep as they groaned and struggled. The many black-pointed horns along their spine were tangled in weeds and mud, and when the creature finally collapsed three yards from the water, long tails still submerged, they opened their eyes to reveal complex and varied yellow irises like the petals of a sunflower, the round black pupils dilating and shrinking rapidly. Time gasped. Then she heard Tanuki squeak and exclaim quietly in terror, Ooh, lindworm! With the word out, the lindworm suddenly roared and vomited blood and bile onto the shore. They coughed and groaned and gasped and sighed, the heavy labored breathing denoting incredible pain. Time found herself unable to move, even as Tanuki wrapped their paws around her calf and attempted to pull her away. She was riveted by the image of this creature, their abdomen and head as large as those of a workhorse and their length easily surpassing twenty feet. The glistening scales were a gradient of dark blues, from Prussian to royal to sapphire. If they hadn't been so filthy, they would have been magnificent. The lindworm vomited again and let out an agonized cry before collapsing onto the stinking dirt. Time's feet were moving. Tanuki was hissing in protest, but she was moving. She was getting closer. She managed to walk right up to the dragon without any indication the creature was aware of, or cared about, her approach. Time swallowed and gathered her strength. With a last push of courage, she spoke. <clears throat> um, pardon me, comrade, but do you need help? The lindworm started, and with effort, pulled their intense yellow gaze to her face. Their pupils contracted and blew open several times before the lindworm blinked and seemed to pull her into focus. Go away, they said in a low, labored voice. I just came up to die. Why are you dying? Time asked in a high voice. It's in me, the lindworm said, coughing blood. I cannot get it out. What's in you? Time asked, kneeling down near the lindworm's face. In my throat, they said, wheezing. It has grown there, a hard stone. It grows and takes. I cannot expel it. It has consumed me. Time looked at the lindworm's scaly neck and noticed a bulge the size of her fist above their collarbone. The dragon clawed at the ground and squirmed in misery. Is that it? Time asked, pointing. It has consumed me, the lindworm said again. How do you know it's inside your throat and not near it? She asked, gripping the handle of the dandelion sword and hoping she wouldn't have to use it. I can feel it, the lindworm said. So many years it has grown. As the days darken and darken, it grows and grows. Can I try to get it out? Time asked. The lindworm lifted their head and looked at her, examined her intensely. 
They blinked slowly, lazily. Then they asked in a bored tone, uh, How would you get it out? Time bit her lip. She examined the lindworm's neck again and squeezed her fist. She took in a deep breath. Mm, maybe I can reach in and pull it out. The lindworm chuckled and then cried softly from the pain. They let their head fall to the earth again and said, Why would you bother? You seem to be in agony, she said. If you promise not to bite my arm off, I'll try to pull it out. Behind her, Time could hear Tanuki scurrying about, but they did not approach, speak, or offer any assistance. Time took a deep breath and then restrained a gag from the horrible smell wafting off of the suffering lindworm. There is no point, the lindworm said mournfully, spitting. What's the harm in trying? she asked. You won't be any worse off for it. The lindworm lifted their head again and stared at Time. She smiled softly and said, I promise I'll be gentle. If it doesn't work, then, if you'd prefer, I can help you end your suffering. She laid her palm on the pommel of the dandelion sword, and the lindworm eyed it thoughtfully. <clears throat> that would be agreeable, the lindworm said. <clears throat> if you must try before you end me, then you have my word I will not harm you in the attempt. Fruitless as it will be. Excellent decision, Time said encouragingly. She thought for a moment on being right-handed, and decided to remove the bracer from her left wrist and push up her sleeve. She gently reached out for the lindworm's nose, and stroked it gently until they let out a sad groan of appreciation, and closed their eyes. Time! Tanuki suddenly shouted, No! Time looked up and waved at Tanuki, who was pressing their paws to their face in horror. Don't worry! Time called. Then she looked back down at her patient. Now, roll over on your other side, she said, crossing to the creature's left. The lindworm complied with effort and relaxed on the ground as she dropped to her knees beside them. Open your mouth as wide as you can, Time said in an instructive, caring tone. Breathe through your nose slowly. If you need me to remove my arm, pat my leg with your hand. Don't bite down. The lindworm hummed in compliance and opened their massive jaws wide enough to easily swallow Tanuki whole. With another bracing huff, Time slowly reached her hand into the lindworm's mouth, her other hand laying on the great scaly head. Careful to avoid the uvula and tonsils, she began to probe into the gullet. The lindworm stirred and swallowed, but did not bite down. Their eyes rolled upward in discomfort, but they clearly made an effort to remain still. Time kept slowly pushing, feeling around with her fingers as gently as she could, but it wasn't until she was shoulder-deep in the maw of the lindworm that she encountered the mass. It was hard, but with a strangely fibrous exterior. She felt around where it connected to flesh and determined that those fibrous ridges were what adhered. She was relieved that it did not dive into the lindworm's throat with deep roots. 
Time cautiously gripped the mass, feeling its edges where it stuck. And, very carefully, she pushed her fingertips between its exterior and where it embedded in the lindworm's gullet, and began to gently work it loose. It was rather like trying to prize the pit from the crisp flesh of a halved peach. The lindworm groaned and wriggled as she worked, but she did not pause. She made progress, slowly separating the growth from its bed. But the center was resistant, as if the mass had realized what she was doing and begun to panic. So, gritting her teeth, time put her every strength into her fingers until she could firmly grip the stone, and with a grunt of effort, she yanked it free from the lindworm's throat. The creature let out a cry of pain mingled with astonished relief. She felt them begin to gag, and she swiftly withdrew her arm from the gullet, another wave of bile and blood spewing from the lindworm's mouth. They coughed and gagged, thick tears rolling out of the protuberant yellow eyes and splashing onto the dirt. They rolled and writhed on the ground, and time felt cold terror that she had wounded them, dooming the lindworm to an even worse death than could be found at the end of the dandelion sword. Easy, easy, she said, hushing and consoling the dragon. They closed their eyes and breathed heavily, deeply, and it sounded much less labored. After several minutes of heavy resting, the lindworm opened their eyes and raised a scaly, clawed hand to their throat. They pawed at where the mass had protruded through their thick hide. Is it? they asked. Here, Time said. And she showed the brown fibrous stone that had tortured them for so long. The lindworm eyed the mass and squinted. That is it? That is what consumed me? Seems like it, Time said. Then she got to her feet and tossed the mass over the pool and into the wood. She looked down at the lindworm, who had begun to claw toward a collection of boulders at the head of the pond. Time followed, wiping her slimy arm with a handkerchief and stuffing it into her trouser pocket to burn at the first opportunity. She stopped walking when the lindworm collapsed on the rocks. After a rumbling, gasping breath, the lindworm said, How strange it is to feel its absence. Then they looked up at her curiously, appraisingly. With a sigh, they intoned in a low, drawling voice. You have my gratitude, strange hero. But may I know, what manner of creature are you? Time smiled and said, A human creature. The dragon coughed a laugh and said thickly, so I had the rare treat of human flesh in my mouth, and was denied the taste? What insult to my injury? The lindworm's big yellow eyes lowered to examine Time's body, and then slowly rolled back up to her face. What do you savor of, I wonder? They said lowly, as if to themselves. I wouldn't know, Time said cavalierly. So if I had to guess, I'd say pig. The dragon hummed deeply and then said in a detached, musing sort of voice, mm, Very interesting. They hummed thoughtfully again and looked away. 
Though, they said smoothly, lazily. I suppose I cannot eat you, can I not? Then they added with a whisper of sarcasm. Given that you selflessly saved my life and all of that. I should hope not, Time said. I'd rather not have to slay you after all that work. The dragon chuckled and pulled themselves weakly up onto a rock where a faint glimmer of unfiltered sunlight broke through and glowed on the stone. They hummed and purred, big scaly lids blinking sleepily as they laid their head under the pitiful ray. Hmm. They intoned in a low, resigned voice. I imagine I am in your debt for my life, such as it is, and for the warmth of your arm. They sighed. Time couldn't help but wince at the thought of this great mucky worm finding solace in a hand down the throat, and she couldn't help but find this uncanny dragon to be both strangely stirring while also captivatingly menacing. She actually felt affection for the creature as they lay there, claiming what little sun they could in this dark place. She felt her chest tighten, and she wished desperately that she could hack at the black branches above to allow even just one intense ray of sunlight to fall upon that harsh, defeated face. But she could not. Ty would have to leave the lindworm there, leave them there to lie on a rock in the dark until they regained the strength to slink down into the dank pool they'd haunted for untold ages. The dragon drew a deep breath and said, I have nothing to give you, no way to repay you. I didn't help you for payment, Time said, reattaching her bracer and then gripping the handle of the dandelion sword. She walked over to where the lindworm lay on the rock and knelt there near their face. You just rest, she said, and she carefully stretched out her hand to lay her palm upon the great blue snout. Golden eyes closed. A groan resonated in the armored, slowly gasping chest. They sighed, cold breath ruffling time's cloak. Your kindness is irksome, human creature. Away with you. Get back upon your path. In response, with an indulgent smirk, Time said, Goodbye, comrade, and patted the lindworm's nose. She got to her feet and turned to approach Tanuki at the end of the pool. When they met, Time heard the low, heavy, drawling voice behind her say, The Tanuki called you Time, human. She stopped and turned to look back over her shoulder. The lindworm had lifted their head and was staring at her intensely, with a renewed energy she did not expect. She briefly thought of reaching for her sword, but she decided to wait. Instead, she just smiled and replied, That's my name. Humans have different names sometimes. The dragon hummed heavily again and crossed their arms, lowering their head onto an elbow. Interesting, they said quietly. With a blink, they added, I will remember this, that you are called Time. Then at last, they closed their eyes.
took in a swelling, sonorous breath, and fell asleep. Time looked down at Tanuki and then moved forward to return to her silent trail beneath the black branches. Over the creek, and after a few yards, when they were sufficiently far from the dragon, Tanuki took the opportunity to whisper, I cannot believe you did that! I'm disgusted. Within a few hours, the wood expanded suddenly. Where there had been a wealth of slender trees and then a neighborhood of tall, seasoned growths, now the great, magnificent trees around them kept each other at a distance, standing like epic columns in a majestic underground hall. Time had seen drawings of such places from far away. The light was cooler here, the trees and bushes shades of gray. How far in do you think we are, Tanuki? Time asked. Oh, we're coming up on halfway soon, Tanuki said encouragingly. We may reach the middle of our journey by midday tomorrow. I'm sorry we aren't closer than that to flower. That's all right, Time said. Have you spent much time in these parts? I have indeed. I was born near the center. They strutted around proudly as if this heritage imparted some clout within the wood. It must have been very interesting to grow up here, Time said as they walked. Tanuki agreed excitedly and began to tell her legends of the Tanuki, how when the trees at the edges were younger and people ventured in from the towns, Tanuki would assume different forms and prank them. And then I transformed into a beautiful woman and convinced the chieftain to marry me, Tanuki said. Later on they exclaimed, And I tied the whole hunting party upside down from the fallen tree overhanging Catspaw Falls and the bears in the water batted them around while I stole their bows and blades. Tanuki chortled, and an hour later another story ended with, And they gave me all of the rice wine and sweet buns my sack could carry, but little did they know the gold I gave them would turn back into pebbles by morning. By the fourth story, it was midday, and the cavernous wood had started to crowd again with smaller, contorting trees. Time found it difficult to listen to Tanuki, though she was very interested in their tales. It was just that she had begun to notice strange things happening around them as they traveled. First, it was eerie and uncomfortable moving through the stand of towering trees as the black branches wove among them like the crisscrossing clotheslines of an inner city. She felt very vulnerable with them so exposed. She wondered if it might not alleviate suspicion to nonchalantly ask Tanuki about the black branches but she resisted the urge to over-elaborate on the lie. After all, Tanuki had already referenced the cover story she weakly put together to mislead the weeds. So she had ignored the black branches as they walked, trying to only casually glance up now and then to determine their direction. But now, as the trees thickened again, the branches had been further obscured. More than that, really. More than the normal obfuscation caused by so much more foliage. It was as if the foliage itself had started trying to obscure the branches. As she and Tanuki moved onward, time could hear the shifting and rustling of leaves and boughs of the younger and smaller trees, though the towering sequoias prevented any wind from moving through the wood. And sometimes, when she glanced up, time saw the thin twigs actually moving, drawing their leaves across the dark branches as if shielding them from her gaze. Did that mean the tree was sure of her quest? Had they instructed their subjects to halt her progress? 
If that were so, this was a very subtle gesture. The trees seemed to exude no hostility. Indeed, when they stopped at midday to sit beneath a weeping cherry tree, time could have sworn it had gently raised the root she was crouching over, so that it was of a very comfortable height for sitting. She stared up at the tree, as Tanoki gushed over a fox friend whom had shared their adventures. Time! Tanoki's voice suddenly broke through her reverie as she gazed up at the branches of the tree. Yes, she said, looking into Tanuki's furry face. A disapproving brow lifted. Tanuki tapped a foot on the ground, paws resting on their hips. You haven't heard a word of my story, they said in annoyance. You and the fox transformed into nymphs and accosted the puppeteer who'd satirized you during a tourney. You left with his clothes, puppets, and balls. Tanuki hummed in further annoyance. Well, fine then, they said. But you're supposed to laugh. Tanuki huffed. What has you so distracted? Oh, nothing, Time said. It's just beautiful here. And that was true. The wood had been incredibly beautiful, no matter how dark it was. She wondered how it would change if she should succeed. Pain! Pain! Without warning, a sharp ice knife plunged into Time's brain. She cried out and tumbled backwards off of the root. She clutched her head. Time! Tanuki shouted, dashing to her. Then the pain lifted. Time opened her eyes and gazed up at the leaves and branches. She was gasping for breath. She touched her face and could feel no wound. The pain had been dazzling, and she could not fathom where it had come from. It was almost as if... as if... It was almost as if it had come from within. Time steadied her breathing as Tanuki stared down at her, squeezing the sleeve of her tunic with their front paws. Then Time said, I'm fine. Let's get going. Tanuki exclaimed in protest, but Time just got to her feet and grabbed her bag before moving on deeper into the wood. Tanuki caught up to her, walking closer to her ankles than usual. She made an effort not to glance down as she sensed her companion throwing looks her way. Time suddenly felt a strange resentment toward Tanuki. It was probably their incessant talking that drew the ire of the wood upon her. Time shook her head. That was an untrue and ungenerous accusation. But Tanuki was fairly useless. They'd fallen asleep despite promising to guard her, and that less she had nearly squeezed her head off. Time shook her head again and felt herself stumble over a small rock. She righted herself and remembered how Tanuki had caught the leshy about the wrists and ankles. But Tanuki hadn't done anything but cower at the edge of the pool while Time assisted that helpless lindworm. But why had she bothered to help that creature anyway? Time's toe caught a low root, and she stumbled again. Then she stopped still, eyes closed, and tried to get a handle on her temper. She was irritated and bored with this entire journey, as if she hadn't had to wander through unfriendly places on her own before, or with a useless companion trailing behind her. The cobblestones were so hot that at this time in the summer, her feet were sold in two thick black calluses. She could sprint around corners in the late afternoon, when the air shivered from the heat, without even feeling the stones, as water splashed from a trough, hissing and sizzling at the horse's feet. They rounded a corner, 
a splinter digging into her palm as she gripped the patrol baton in her left hand and the wrist of stupid Lila in her right. Her so-called friend was staggering behind her, crying. Time hissed, Why did you cry? Why did you cry? Time shook her head, squeezing her fists and then laying her palm on the pommel of the dandelion sword. The hard, interesting texture of the steel bloom drew her attention. The heat of the cobblestones ebbed, and she felt the cool softness of her boot soles. Time! Tanuki whined at her. Time looked down. Why had she been angry with Tanuki again? They had done something. No, they had not done something. Time opened her mouth to tell Tanuki that she was perfectly fine, but the words that came out were, Why did you cry? Tanuki blinked in bafflement, and, frustrated with their stupidity, Time stalked off back on the path, screwing up her eyes to the branches as she cussed the three sunflowers that had sent her on this quest, and then cussed herself for accepting such an absurd quest to begin with. The shout of a person behind her made Time turn her head and mark the patrolman gaining on her. She squeezed Lila's wrist and tugged onward. She thought about dropping the baton, taking it had been an audacious insult for which he'd punish her harshly, but then that meant she'd need a weapon. He was about to grab her, but he didn't know these stones like she did. She pushed Lila to the right, and when the patrolman followed, his toe hooked on the pointed rock that caught wagon wheels and everyone else knew to avoid. He collapsed to his knees with a violent crack of the caps, letting out a yell as he fell. Time felt the exhilaration of escape, but then hands were upon her. No! Time shouted. She drew the dandelion sword and ran off into the woods, looking over her shoulder for a pursuer, but only seeing dark trees and the frightened eyes of Tanuki. She knew this wasn't real. She knew she was in the woods. There was no Lila in her hand. There was no patrolman on her heels. There was no idle, begging soldier trying to grab her on the off chance he might be rewarded for her capture. Though he wouldn't be. Time tripped on a root and collapsed to her knees. The dandelion sword flung from her hand, and, reaching out to catch it, she fell forward. Her fingers dug into the cool dirt, and she tried to hang on to the sensation, squeezing and wiggling her fingers in the soil. "'Let go, traitor!' she shouted at the dirt. Her voice echoed in her ears. She shook her head. She was in the woods. She was there in the woods, with Tanuki, with the trees, with the lost tree." And then time felt it. She felt the branch. It was as if it had slid into her mouth and snaked its way down her throat into her stomach. She felt her guts churn with anxiety and terror. She was in the wood. She was in the wood looking for the boy, the lost boy. Time saw the burgundy light, the red light. She saw the frame of black branches. She was running back into the past, chasing the two little children. Time was in the wood. She said it out loud. I am in the wood. Time! Tanuki cried. I am in the wood, she said again. Her mouth felt incredibly dry, and she chewed on her cracked bottom lip. She gasped, squeezing the dirt with her fingers. She had to get the branch out. She had to come back. She had to return to the wood. I am in the wood she croaked again, 
the cobblestones hot and her mouth dry. Then she took a deep breath and said loudly, Water! With that word out, she collapsed onto her face and lay there, feeling her body pulse and contract feverishly. Suddenly she was rolling over as Tanuki pushed her onto her back. Their furrowed brow and sniffing stout were looming over her face, bright black eyes shimmering with worry. And their small paws, they gripped the water skin and directed it into Time's mouth. Very carefully, Tanuki tipped it, and cool, delicate, delicious water flowed over her lips and tongue and down her throat. She felt an icy river cleave through the hot street, stones cracking and falling into the current. In the rushing flood, all was washed away. Time gulped greedily. She felt the cold earth under her fingernails. She felt her feet in her boots and her teeth in her mouth. She took another large swallow of water and then exhaled in exhaustion. Tanuki pulled the skin away and pushed the stopper into it. They gazed down at Time with deep anxiety. Time stared up at her whiskered friend, gazing into their dark but beautifully patterned irises. She was in the wood. She still tasted the water on her lips. Time's eyes slid over Tanuki's shoulder to a robust oak tree. It held its boughs out like two arms, as if raising lanterns, as if guiding and inviting. Time stared at the tree. The bark was beautiful, rich brown, cracked and weathered like years of paint. Then the tree opened its eyes. They were green and large, but human-like. And then a small mouth opened below the eyes, and a brown face turned to look at Time. The face was like a woman's as it pulled away from the trunk of the tree, bark breaking loose from a neck and shoulders. A mane of twigs emerged from a brow. Crackling and snapping, the entity pulled a long-fingered hand from the bark and reached out. A torso twisted free from the tree, and they were moving, bending, leaning. The face of the tree person came closer. Tanuki picked up Time's finger and held it carefully patting her knuckle. They stared down at her, snuffling nervously. But Tanuki did not hear what moved behind them. Tanuki did not sense the wooden creature moving toward them. And Tanuki did not notice as the tree person came up behind them and leaned over their shoulder. Time opened her mouth to warn Tanuki. She tried to reach for the dandelion sword, but she moved too slowly too sluggishly, her shoulders unwilling to lift from the ground. Despite her best efforts to speak or move, she could only lay there. The huge eyes of the tree person fixed on her own as they loomed closer, and their green intensity was the last thing time comprehended before her lids fell, and she knew nothing but darkness. To be continued... Thank you for listening to part two of Legends of Time, the Lost Tree, written and read by me, Stephanie Ed. For parts one and three, as well as other content, visit stephanieed.com, subscribe, and follow Stephanie J. Ed on Twitter and Instagram.